All right, well, we're there in Luke, chapter number 8. And, of course, uh, we are going through a series called Journey with Jesus. It's a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. And we are studying the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning we come to a very uh, interesting, a little uh, peculiar of a passage in regards to Jesus dealing with his family. I'd like you to notice it again there in verse 19. The Bible says, Then came to him, referring to Jesus, his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. The press is a reference to the crowd. Jesus was preaching to a group of people, and there were so many people that they were unable to get a message to him. Look, for this, look there in verse 20. The Bible says, And it was told him, referring to Jesus, by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without. The word without there means they stand outside. They're outside of this crowd, outside of this service, desiring to see thee. Look at verse 21. And he answered and said unto them, and you might find this interesting, but here we have the response from Jesus. He says, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. Now you're there in Luke chapter 8, and uh, that's going to be our text for this morning, but I'd like you uh, to go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, if you would. If you go backwards uh, from Luke, you'll go past the book of Mark into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. I'd like you to see the same story in the Gospel of Matthew. Of course, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all uh, are giving us the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and many of these Gospels have... uh, what we would call parallel passages, where they tell us the same story, give us maybe a few different details and things like that. In Matthew chapter 12, we have the same story. I'd like you to see it in this gospel, verse 46. The Bible says, While he uh, yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without. Again, the emphasis is that they were outside, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren Stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And I want you to notice in verse 49 what Jesus does here. The Bible says, And he stretched forth his hand. Now keep in mind, he's preaching. He's in the middle of a preaching service, uh, probably similar to the service you're in right now. He's preaching and speaking as a crowd is around him. He's speaking to them. The Bible tells us there's so many people there. There's a huge crowd. There's a big press that his mother and his brethren stood without, and they wanted to see him, but they weren't coming in to see him. They wanted someone to get a message to him. And when the message was given to Jesus that his mother and his brethren stand without, desiring to speak with him, he asked the question, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And then in verse 49, I think it's interesting, the Bible tells us he stretched forth his hands toward his disciples. So he stretches forth his hands towards the people that are listening to the sermon and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So we have this passage of scripture uh, that's very interesting in regards to Jesus dealing with his family. And I'm going to give you some very practical uh, thoughts from this passage of Scripture, some lessons in regards to, some applications in regards to uh, dealing with family, especially when your family's not on board uh, with the things of God. But before I do that, I want to just spend a little bit of time uh, giving you some doctrinal lessons uh, that we can highlight in this passage from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's some interesting just things that are mentioned here that have some doctrinal 
uh, connotations in regards to them in regards to the family of Christ. See, when it comes to the family of Jesus, and specifically his mother, there is a lot of false teaching that is given about uh, the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you grew up in a uh, Catholic background. I know my wife grew up uh, Catholic, and the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, teaches a lot in regards to Mary and uh, Mariology, and they teach some doctrinal things that are simply not found in the Word of God. The first one is this, and I'd like to just show it to you. You say, well, I don't think you should be attacking uh, a religion. And, you know, what you need to understand is that as Bible-believing Christians, our job is to give our loyalty to the Word of God. Um, it is what, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? So when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, we think about his family, we think about uh, his mother, we have to line ourselves up with the Word of God. So here's a false doctrine taught in regards to Mary. The teaching that Mary was a perpetual virgin. The Roman Catholic Church today teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin, that she uh, gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ and she is, uh, was a virgin for her entire life and all of eternity. And even today, they refer to her as the Virgin Mary. You're there in Matthew chapter 12. I'd like you to notice something that's interesting, something that should just kind of jump out at you if you uh, ascribe to this teaching of the perpetual virginity of Mary. If you look at Matthew 12 and verse 46, the Bible says, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother, referring to Jesus, notice, and his brethren stood without desiring to speak to him. Notice again verse 47. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without. The Bible teaches and the Bible clearly states that Jesus had uh, other siblings, that Jesus had brothers, and therefore Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She was a virgin, uh, of course, when she gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that was a miraculous conception. But after that, the Bible tells us that her and Joseph uh, had other children. The Bible tells us that Jesus was her firstborn son. You say, why does the Bible refer to him as the firstborn? Because he was the first of more. There was more to come. And here the Bible tells us that he had brethren. Go to Matthew 13. You're there in Matthew 12. Just flip over to Matthew 13. Not only does the Bible mention to us that uh, Mary had children, but the Bible tells us how many children she had and even gives us names. Matthew 13, look at verse 54. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 54, the Bible says, And when he, referring to Jesus, was coming to his own country, here we have Jesus on this preaching tour, and now he's coming into his own hometown of Nazareth. He taught them in their synagogues, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Notice Matthew 13, verse 55, is not this, this is what the people in Jesus' hometown are saying. They're saying, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And notice again, his brethren. And then it names, us, it names for us the amount of brethren and the names of the brothers that Jesus had. And his brethren, number one, James. And number two, Joseph. And number three, Simon. And number four, Judas. So the Bible tells us that Jesus had four other brothers, and it even gives us their names, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. So does the Bible teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin? The answer is no. Not only does the Bible say that Jesus had other brethren, the Bible also tells us that Jesus had sisters. Notice verse 56, and his sisters. 
referring to Jesus. And, 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 and I want you to notice that it's sisters with an S at the end. That's plural, meaning more than one. It says, and his sisters, are they not? Because remember, these are the people that are living in the hometown of Jesus, and they're the ones saying this. They said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Referring to Joseph. They think he's Joseph's son. Is not this mother, his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and his sisters, plural? Notice what they said. Are they not all with us? Now notice, the Bible does not tell us how many sisters Jesus had or the names of his sisters, like it gives us the, the, the number of brothers and the names of the brothers. But it does tell us this, that he had sisters, plural, and then it says, and then they said, are they not all with us? The word all tells us that he had at least three sisters. Because if he would have had two sisters, uh, they would have said, are they not both with us? If he would have had one sister, they would not have said, and his sisters. They would have just said, and his sister, singular. So the fact that the Bible tells us that he has sisters, and they said, are they not all with us, uh, tells us that he, Jesus had at least three sisters. He had, we know, four brothers. Uh, so no, the Bible does not teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin. She was a virgin at the time of the birth of Christ, of course. But after that, the Bible says that Joseph knew Mary and they had children and the Bible lists them for us. So I just want you to understand that the Bible needs to be our foundation for everything we believe. You might say, well, I was taught my whole life about the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Mary. Well, here's the thing about the Virgin Mary. Uh, God bless her. She's a great woman of, uh, of God, but she was a virgin until she gave birth to Christ. And then after that, she was married and she had children like a normal uh, 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 married woman. And she's not a virgin today. She's not the Virgin Mary today. So we have this teaching about the uh, Virgin Mary and her perpetual virginity. But let me give you another one real quickly. You're, you're there in Matthew. Go, go, go to Luke, if you would, Luke chapter 11. You're there in Matthew. You'll go past the book of Mark into the book of Luke, Luke chapter 11. And the second teaching, false teaching in regards to Mary, is the teaching that Mary, this is what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, and, and other religions as well, not just uh, Catholicism, but they teach that they teach Mary as the mediatrix, that Mary is the mediatrix. Catholics teach that Mary is the mediator between us and Jesus. In fact, let me just read to you the definition of the word mediatrix uh, from the Roman from a Roman Catholic website. They they define mediatrix in Catholic Mariology. The title mediatrix refers to the intercessory role of the Blessed Virgin Mary, those are their words, as a mediator in the saving redemption by her son, Jesus Christ, and that he bestows graces through her. The word means woman who is a mediator. Now, what that is saying there is that the Roman Catholic Church teaches that Jesus, the access to the saving grace of Jesus, is through his mother Mary, and that she is the mediator in the saving redemption by her son Jesus Christ, and that we must therefore go to Mary uh, uh, in order to get access to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I'm here to tell you something. You, you might think, well, the perpetual virgin of Mary, that's not a big deal. Uh, okay, well, the teaching that Mary is the mediatrix is complete and utter heresy. I mean, it is, it is a false teaching. It is a false gospel to believe that you've got to go to Mary for salvation and that Jesus has given her the grace to bestow for salvation. And by the way, this is why Catholics will pray this 
famous Hail Mary prayer when they uh, uh, quote the words, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Uh, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God. First of all, God has no mother. Holy Mary, mother of God. Notice what they pray. They say, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Amen. And they teach that we must go to Mary uh, in order to have access to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know, uh, uh, notice a couple of things. The Bible never displays Mary having some sort of special sway over the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, Mary was a godly woman. Mary was uh, highly blessed of the Lord and, and chosen to uh, birth the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but other than bringing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and being used of God to birth uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible does not teach that she has any sort of special sway. Are you there in Luke chapter 11? Look at verse 27. In fact, in the Bible, it seems that Jesus tries to do his best to minimize the role of Mary because I believe Jesus understood that people were going to one day worship Mary as though she were deity herself. So the Bible, uh, if anything, Jesus de-emphasizes the role of Mary. Luke 11, let me prove it to you. Look at verse 27. And it came to pass... As he, Jesus, again, he's on a preaching tour, he's speaking, notice he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice. This is the first Catholic in the Bible, apparently, because a certain woman lifted up her voice and said unto him, notice what this woman says, blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. So here we have a woman saying to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps that thou hast sucked. Obviously referring to Mary and the fact that Mary gave birth to Jesus and that Mary uh, fed uh, Jesus and nursed Jesus. But notice Jesus' response, verse 28. But he said, but he said, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Is that what he said? But he said, Yea, rather. You know what yea rather means? He said, no, no, You know what? Instead, instead of blessing Mary, he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So here you have somebody trying to worship Mary, and Jesus, he, he, he uh, diffuses that. He said, no, 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 no. You, you want to bless someone? He said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. You're there in Luke. Go to John. John chapter 2. Look at verse 1. They'll say, we're supposed to go to Mary because, and this is what the Catholics will teach. They'll say, well, if, if you want to get a son to do something, the best person to go to is mom. You know, go to the mother and she'll make son do something. Like if, like if Jesus is some 11-year-old or something, you know, and his mother is just up, up in heaven telling him, you need to do this and you need to do that. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that Jesus is the great physician. You know, when, 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 you, when you need a doctor, do you, do you go to the doctor's mother? Well, I'm going to go ask the, I'm, you know, you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you what to do, you're like, well, I'm going to ask your mom. <laughs> I, I think your mom would know best. John chapter 2, look at verse 1. Here we have a special uh, miracle. In fact, in fact, it's the first miracle recorded in Scripture when Jesus turned water into wine. John chapter 2, verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. Notice, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So they're invited to this marriage, and the mother of Jesus is there. Verse 3, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him. So they, they ran out of wine. So they, they got the same idea that Catholics got. 
And they're like, hey, let's go to Jesus' mom and she'll make him do what we want. Notice verse 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Notice how Jesus responds. And again, Jesus is going to turn water into wine. But he wants to make sure that Mary understands and that all of us who are reading the scripture understand that Mary has no special sway over the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Do you notice how Jesus, when people are just trying to put Mary on a pedestal, he's just constantly putting her in her place. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Notice, and Mary got the hint, verse 5, and his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Isn't that what the mother of a doctor would tell you? Hey, your, your son told me to do X, Y, and Z, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Mom's going to be like, you need to listen to the doctor. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You're there in John 2. Go to John 19. John 19. This isn't even a sermon, right? This is just introduction. I'm just giving you some thoughts. But it's good. You say, well, we're the Baptist church. Why are you preaching this? Because, you know, because it's good for you to understand what we believe and why we believe it. Amen. Now, let me just make something clear. I don't believe that Jesus was disrespectful to his mother. I believe that Jesus loved his mother. He respected her. He honored her. But in these, sense, in these instances, when people were trying to put her on a pedestal above him, he made sure to let us know that, no, you know what? She needs to be put in her place. Mary was a godly woman, a godly uh, believer, someone I think we should all look forward to meeting one day in heaven. But you know what? She's not deity. She's not someone we should pray to. She was a godly woman and highly used of God, but that's it. John 19, look at verse 25. You say, I don't know. It kind of seems like Jesus is kind of rude to his mom. Well, notice in, he, he, the Bible shows us that he obviously loved his mom because in, in John 19 and verse 25, Jesus is on a cross dying. Physically, literally dying. And notice in verse 25, the Bible says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Notice verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. This is a reference to John. John was a disciple he was closest to. He's referred to as a disciple whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. I want you to understand what's going on here. At this point, Joseph is off the scene. He's probably has died. And Jesus, as the eldest, has the responsibility of caring for his mother. But while on the cross and dying himself, he takes the time to make sure that his mother is taken care of. He looks at John, the beloved disciple, and he tells uh, uh, Mary to look at John, and he says, woman, behold thy son. And what he's telling Mary is, Mary, from now on, look at John as your son. He will take care of you from now on. He looks at John and says, I want you to take care of my mother uh, when I'm not there to take care of her. And the Bible tells us that from that day on, John took care of her. So obviously, Jesus loved his mother, he respected his mother, he honored his mother, but the Bible is clear that she was not some sort of a godlike being. She's not the mediatrix. The Bible says, go, go back to Luke, if you would, Luke chapter 8. I'll quote for you, 1 Timothy 2, 5. The Bible says about the mediator, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus is the mediator. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You say, who do I need to get access to God? The Lord Jesus Christ. I don't need a priest. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a saint. I don't need Mary. I don't need, I've been given the priesthood of the believer. I have access to God the Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is given through Jesus Christ and no one, and no one else and nothing else. And Mary, God bless her, great woman of God, but nothing more than a woman of God. Not deity, not someone to pray to. So it's interesting uh, because we get to this passage where we see the family of, of Jesus, and we see Jesus uh, a little bit at odds with his family. You're there in Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 19 again. And that was just kind of just a little bit of some doctrinal things in regards to uh, the family of Christ. But let me just give you some uh, real quick applications in regards, some things that we can learn about the family of Jesus and the dynamics of the family of Jesus. No, notice again there in Luke 8, 19. Then came to him, Jesus his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. Now, I want you to understand this. Here you have Mary and her sons, the brothers of Jesus. Jesus is preaching, but they're not in the crowd. They're not in the service where Jesus is preaching. The Bible tells us they stood without. Look at verse 20. And it was told him, Jesus, by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without. The word without means outside, designed to see thee. Now you've got to ask the question, and, 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 and you, you've got to uh, uh, get, be curious enough to ask yourself, why are they without? Why aren't they within? Now they're in Luke. Keep your place in Luke. Go to John. John chapter 7. Just flip over. We're going to be flipping through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John a lot. John chapter 7. John chapter 7. I'm blessed here as a pastor of Verity Baptist Church to have my, my family as part of our church. Obviously, my wife and my children. But I'm talking about my, my, my father and my mother, our members here at Verity Baptist Church. My uh, siblings are, are members here. And, and, and I praise God for that. But could you, imagine, could you imagine what kind of statement is being made if, if here we are on a Sunday morning, Verity Baptist Church, there's 200 people here, I'm the pastor, I'm preaching to 200 people, and my, my mom and my dad and my siblings are outside in the parking lot, and they wave down some usher, and they're like, hey, tell, tell our son that we, we just talked to him. And the usher's like, well, you know, we'd be happy to find you a seat. And, you know, we can, I mean, good night. You're the pastor's family. I mean, we could get you a nice seat. Would you like to come in? No, no, no. We don't, we don't want to come in. Just get a message to them. You know, imagine an usher coming to me and saying, hey, your, your family is standing without. Well, have them come in. They don't want to come in. They're, they're outside. They don't want to come into the service. They, they're designed to speak to you. I mean, do you see kind of the statement that's being made here? And, and here's what I want you to understand. When it comes to your family, and many of you uh, uh, have, have to deal with this situation, uh, praise the Lord, I, I don't. I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised as a Baptist. I was born a Baptist. I was not born saved, but I was born a Baptist. Uh, praise God for that. And, and, and so I'm not necessarily having to deal with this, but I know many of you uh, do. And when it comes to your family, and especially your family not being on board, here's, here's point number one, and I want you to just understand this. Your physical family may not be receptive to you. I mean, here you have Jesus. I mean, Jesus at the height of his ministry. 
His fame has gone throughout the whole country. He's preaching great sermons, performing great miracles, doing great things, and his family stands without. They're like, hey, you know your son's preaching, right? You know your son's headlining tonight, right? You know he's the main speaker tonight. And they're like, can you get him a message for us? We don't want to go in. See, something you need to understand about the family of Jesus is that Jesus' physical family did not believe in him. You're there in, you're, are you there in John chapter 7? Look at verse 1. John, let me prove it to you. John chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry. We're fast-forwarding in the ministry of Christ. Now we're at the, uh, the point in the ministry of Christ where he's not at his height and at his fame. He's at the point where the Jews and the Romans have turned against him, and now it's dangerous for him to be out in public because they're trying to kill him. That's what we're reading about in John 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Notice verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacle was at hand. This is during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a big holiday and a time where people get together and, and celebrate. Notice verse 3. His brethren, talking about Jesus' physical brothers, the ones we read about, Joseph and James and Simon and Judas, his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea. Notice that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. So you've got his brethren talking to Jesus, and they're saying, What are you hiding for? Go to Judea. That, notice they said, Thy disciples. They weren't disciples. They said, Your disciples. Notice verse 4. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. You can kind of see the bitterness in their words a little bit. They're kind of bitter at the fact that they've got a famous brother, right? And they're saying, like, there's no one that doeth anything in secret. He himself seeketh to be known openly. They're saying, like, hey, I thought you were trying to be famous. I thought you're, now that they're trying to kill you, you're, you're going to hide. And by the way, Jesus did go down to that, to that feast, and he did proclaim uh, himself openly, uh, but he was just waiting for the right time. But here you have his brethren being adversarial with him. They're kind of taunting him. Notice verse 5, John 7, verse 5, for neither did his brethren believe in him. I mean, isn't that interesting? Now, let me just say this, just FYI, his brothers ended up believing on him eventually. His brothers ended up believing after the resurrection. They got saved. Obviously, if you watch your brother die on a cross, and then three days later you have breakfast with him on the beach, yeah, you know, you're probably going to believe in him. But at the time of his ministry, they did not believe in him. The Bible clearly tells us there in John 7, 5, for neither did his brethren believe in him. And you would think they would. Now, this is not referring to Mary. I, I believe Mary believed from the beginning. But the brethren, his brothers did not believe. And you would think they grew up with Jesus. I mean, they should have known, like, he never lied. He never did it. He never rebelled. He never had a bad attitude. He never did anything wrong. I mean, the, the guy literally was perfect. But it just tells you something about human nature, and human nature is this, that there's something about your physical family that makes them likely to not want to believe. You say, not want to believe in God? Not necessarily. They don't want to believe in you. But when you're the saved one and you're the Christian, they just kind of connect that with God, and they reject God because they reject you. 
See, Jesus taught this idea that your physical family is likely to not believe also. Like they did not believe in Jesus, they're likely to not believe uh, uh, you as well. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. You're there in John, just flip backwards past Luke into the book of Mark. Mark chapter 6. See, sometimes Christians, they get really frustrated. Like, why won't my family listen? Why won't they, you know, be receptive? And I always say to them, look, if they didn't believe Jesus, if they weren't receptive to Jesus, you know, they, I mean, are you better than Jesus? Are you a better Christian than Jesus? Because I doubt it. See, Jesus taught this principle that I'm going to show you right now throughout the Gospels. He brings it up a lot. And I think he brings it up a lot because it's kind of irritating to him that here he is, the Son of God, God in the flesh, performing miracles, preaching great sermons, healing the sick, raising the dead, and his brothers are running around. They won't even come into the church service. They stand without. And I believe that Mary believed on Jesus, but, you know, she's being a typical mother and just siding with her sons. Well, we're going to stand. I just don't want to offend your sons, my sons. Your brothers don't want to come in to hear you preach. Mark chapter 6, verse 4. But Jesus said unto them, here's the principle. A prophet is not without honor. What does that mean? That phrase, a prophet is not without honor, is a phrase that means that prophets or preachers do get honor. They are often honored. When they stand up and they're men of God and they preach the word of God, often there are people that respect them, people that love them, people that, that, that pray for them, people that appreciate the work that they do. Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor. He says, but, the word but here is he's up for in his own country and among his own kin. The word kin is referring to family and in his own house. See, Jesus said, Hey, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. A prophet is not without honor, save in his own kin. A prophet is not without honor, save in his own house. Go to Matthew chapter 13. You're there in Mark, just go backwards to the book of Matthew. Matthew 13. Remember we saw Matthew 13, where Jesus went into his own country, and, his, and, and the people are saying, uh, are, are talking about him, and they give us all the names of the siblings. Remember that? Matthew 13, we just saw it a few minutes ago. Look at verse 55 again. Matthew 13, 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Verse 57, and they were offended in him. Notice the context. We just got the list of all the names of the brothers and the fact that he has sisters. Here's the context. And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save, the word save means except for, in his own country and his own house, and he did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. See, Jesus, Jesus said, I'll preach all over the place. I'll preach all over the place, and, 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 and people will come from everywhere to hear me preach. But he said, the people I grew up with, they won't come. He said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. He said, the people of his own house. So you say, well, what do you do with that? Well, here's what you do with it. Realize that this is just human nature. There's something about the fact that they, you know, your mom and dad change your diapers. 
and 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 fed you and clothed you and 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 have known you your whole life and knew you as a baby that just makes them not want to listen to you. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's okay. And I'm not saying that happens 100% of the time. You know, obviously, not every rule is just a 100% rule. But by and large, you will find that when your family, when you come from a family that is not saved, your physical family may not be receptive to you. You say, but I love my family. And I want them to be saved. I don't want them to die and go to hell. What do I do? Well, here's the thing. If you understand that they weren't receptive to Jesus himself, they didn't believe Jesus himself. You know, instead of trying to fight against that, you should try to work around that. You say, what do you mean? Well, well here's a, a couple of thoughts. If they won't listen to you give the gospel, why don't you find someone else that can give them the gospel that they might listen to? Now, look, I believe in, in confrontational soul winning. I believe we ought to go and preach the gospel. And I think you should try to give the gospel to your family. And, and, and oftentimes, um, your family can be receptive to you. I know for my wife, when she got saved, she was 17 years old, and she systematically went through and got, you know, practically all of her uh, family saved, all of her siblings saved, and her mom saved, and, 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 and a lot of their friends saved, and, and her friends saved. So I'm not saying you can't. But if you've tried and it hasn't worked, hey, how about inviting them uh, to a church service and making sure that a, a, a soul winner that knows what to do uh, can go to them and preach the gospel to them. And if they're so hostile towards the things of God, just hint, hint here, because I, I just don't, I think sometimes people don't really understand these things. You know, you're like, my, my, my family just, you know, they hate hard preaching. They think I'm in a cult. They don't like the stands that I take against the LGBT, against the vaccines, against, you know, the fact that we homeschool our children. They think we're f weird and freaks of nature. So I'm going to invite them to a church service so they can get saved. I'm like, oh, great. What service are you inviting them to? Uh, Pastor Anderson, Friday night, Red Hot Preaching Conference. I'm just like... <laughs> I love Pastor Anderson. I love the Red Hot Preaching Conference. I'm putting on the Red Hot Preaching Conference. But if they're offended by the Word of God, the Red Hot Preaching Conference is probably not the service you want them at. Do you understand? I mean, I don't understand. You say, why are you saying this? Because it has to be said. Then people are like, oh, I brought them to the Red Hot Preaching Conference and they got offended. I'm like, what were you expecting? Half the people that are saved get offended. It's the Red Hot Preaching Conference. Let me help you out with something. If you want to get your family plugged into the things of God, invite them to a church service. Like a normal church service, just a regular Sunday morning church service. No, I'm going to invite them to the church picnic. Why, why not invite them to church? Are you trying to win them to a church picnic or are you trying to win them to Christ? Why not invite them to a church service where they can hear the word of God preached, have a soul winner preach the gospel to them, and do everything in the, we can do everything in our power to try to get them saved? Amen. See, your spiritual family may not be receptive to you. So how about you work around that and say, okay, you won't listen to me. How about you come to Family and Friend Day, which is actually designed to be a day when you bring your family and your friends, 
and, and, and come here and talk to me, talk to my wife, talk to one of the staffs, tell us, hey, my dad's coming, my mom's coming, my brother's coming. I'd love for someone to be able to approach them and talk to them. You know, they're Catholic or they're this or they're that. And just to give you a heads up and, 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 and help us help you get them the gospel. Instead of fighting against this idea that they may not be receptive, why don't you work with that and work around that? Here's another one. How about instead of just offending your family, trying to preach the gospel to them because you don't know what to do, you don't know how to do it, you don't know how to say it, how about you become a soul winner and you go with us week after week after week, knocking on doors of other people that you don't know, Learn how to give the gospel, learn how to memorize the verses, learn how to explain the verses, learn how to answer the questions. So when you go to your family, you're actually equipped and ready to go. What often happens is people, they get excited, so they're like, I don't want to preach to people I don't know. I just want to preach to my family. But then they go and they make a whole mess of preaching to their family, offend their family, say all the wrong things, start the soul winning presentation with, let me tell you why the Pope's going to go to hell. And it's like, and then you wonder why they're offended at you. You know, it's like, how about you go practice with us on a bunch of people you don't know so that we can help you and say, no, you don't want to start that way. You don't want to say that. We're not trying to offend people. We love people. We don't want them to die and go to hell. We want to preach the gospel to them. We want to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, let us train you so that then you can go to the most important people in your life and be prepared to give the gospel. How about you decide if you want to get your mom saved, your dad saved, your brother saved, your sister saved, you're going to go out and get somebody else's mom saved, somebody else's dad saved, somebody else's brother saved, somebody else's sister saved. Hey, go help somebody else get saved, learn how to give the gospel, and then you'll be equipped to talk to your cousins and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. And if they're just unwilling to listen to you because they know you and they know your past and whatever then that's fine. Let somebody else give the gospel. Set up a divine appointment that they're not aware of. And do everything you can to get your family saved. So number one, what do we learn from this story? We learn that your physical family may not be receptive to you. Just realize that. Just understand that. Just be okay with that. Number two, go, go, go back to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Not only will your physical family, your physical family may not be receptive to you, but number two, well, let me just, let's just look at the passage. Look at verse, Luke chapter 8, verse 20. And it was told him. So they send the message. They send the usher to Jesus. Luke 8, 20. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these. Remember we saw in Matthew, he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples. And he said, Which hear the word of God and do it. See, number one, your physical family may not be uh, receptive uh, to you, but here's uh, point number two, your spiritual family is more important than your physical family. See, I don't like you saying that. Well, I didn't say it, Jesus did. They're like, hey, your physical mother and your brethren stand without, and he says, my mother and my brethren are these. 
Who, who are you talking about? These which hear the word of God and do it. Amen. See, when you got saved, here's what you need to understand. You, as a saved Christian, if you're saved this morning, if you're not saved this morning, please don't leave here without letting us explain to you how to be saved. How to know you're on your way to heaven. We'd love to show you how you can be saved. But if you're saved this morning, here's what you need to understand. You have two families. Go to Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2. Keep your place in Luke there. You have John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're saved, you have two families. A physical family and a spiritual family. When you got saved, you became part of the family of God. Not only do you have two families, you have two fathers. You have a physical father and a heavenly father. Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, Ephesians 2.19, but fellow citizens. This is Paul talking to people that got saved. He says earlier, ye were dead in trespasses and sins. He said, before you were saved, but he said, now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, notice, with the saints, and he's talking to Christians, he says, and you are, is what he's saying, and of the household of God. He said, you are of the household of God. You are part of God's household. Look at Ephesians 3 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Ephesians 3.14, For this cause bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 15, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. See, when you got saved, God became your heavenly Father. You became a child of God, a son of God, or a daughter of God. But God has other children, other saved people. That's why we often refer to, here in church, we'll say, brother so-and-so, or sister so-and-so. You say, why? I thought you guys just did that because you were weird. <laughs> well, that's part of it. But part of it is the fact that they're my brother in Christ. Amen. That's my sister in Christ. We're a spiritual family. We're a household. We're the household of God. We are named uh, 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 after the Father uh, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So if you're saved, you have two families, a physical family and a spiritual family. Go to Matthew chapter 12, if you would. Matthew chapter 12. First book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find, Matthew 12. Now look, your, your spiritual family does not have to replace your physical family. But just understand that your spirit, you have a spiritual family. For some of you, that's a good sign. Some of you are like, I don't like my physical family. Well, praise God, God gave you another one. <laughs> some of you say, I don't have a physical family. I didn't grow up with a dad. Well, now you have a father. God the father. Now you have a family. The household of God. And look, your spiritual family does not need to replace your physical family. But if you are forced to choose between the two, you ought to choose the spiritual. Matthew 12, look at verse 48. Matthew chapter 12, verse 48. Look at the passage again. Matthew 12, 48. But he answered and said unto, unto him that told him. They said, your mother and your brother stand without. Remember, at this time, his brothers aren't even saved. He, is, he says, who is my mother? Who, and, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, behold my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. He says, look, I'm not, Jesus is saying, I'm not choosing to alienate my family, but they're choosing to alienate me. I'm right here. 
They refuse to come in. They stand without. Jesus said, so if they make me choose, I choose these guys. If they make me choose, I choose the children of God. I choose the disciples of, of God. I choose whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Go to Luke chapter 14. You're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, we have a passage of Scripture that sometimes people feel like it's a controversial passage, like to show it to you. In regards to family, Luke 14, verse 25, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, notice what Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters. And people are like, what? you got to hate your family in order to follow Jesus? Now, I want you to understand, the next statement puts it all in context. Yea, and his own life also. He says, he cannot be my disciple. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. He's not saying that you need to hate your father, and your mother, and your brethren, and your sisters. He's not saying you... You have to, like, have this hatred for yourself that you look yourself in the mirror and you're like, you're such a stinking, you know, whatever. What he's saying is that our love and loyalty for God ought to be such that if your family doesn't get on board with God, that they would look at you and say, like, do you hate us? Like, why do you hate us? When you tell your family, like, hey, no, I don't drink alcohol. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to drink alcohol with you, and I'm not going to stick around while you get drunk. Amen. And they're like, do you hate us? It's like, no, I just love Jesus. Amen. In fact, I just love God, and I love Jesus, and, and I love you so much that until you get on board with the things of God, you're going to feel like I hate you. Amen. They're, they're going to think you hate yourself. You used to remember when you were fun? What, when you were on drugs? When your life was falling apart, when your wife was leaving you, when your children hated you, that, that version of you? Oh, yeah, that was fun. Then you get saved, get right with God, start getting your life situated, and they're like, you must hate life. And I'm like, no, I hated life. Now my life is Jesus Christ. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Go to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. Keep your place and look. We're going to come back to it. When you get to Proverbs, do me a favor. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18. Look, and, and, and please understand this. I'm not saying this is easy and I'm not saying that, that you should hate your family you know, in the sense that you and I would call that. I think you should love your family. You should try to get them saved. But, if they, but you should live for Jesus. Amen. And if they can't tolerate that, and they force you to make a choice, you got to choose your spiritual family. Amen. You got to choose your spiritual father. You got to live for God. Now, look, I'll I tell you, you know, I'm thankful that everyone in my family that I grew up with you know, my, my parents and my siblings, they, they love the Lord and they're on board with the things of God. They're not without, they're within. And, and, and praise the Lord for that, you know, and, I, and I'm thankful for that. But, but just, you know, 
I'm thankful for the fact that I have a, a, a godly heritage. My, my grandfather on my mom's side was a Baptist preacher. My father was a first-generation Christian. He got saved, and, 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 and his family was not uh, saved before him, and he led our family uh, into Christianity, and praise the Lord for that. My mother grew up in a, in a Christian home. But I, I'm, thankful for, I'm thankful for that. I'm, you know, a, a few years ago, my grandmother, I was born in Venezuela, and we moved here when I was four years old. I've been here my whole life, and I, haven't, I don't really know a lot of my family in Venezuela. But uh, my grandmother came to visit the U.S. a few years ago, and after a Sunday morning service, praise God, my grandmother came to church, praise the Lord. And after a Sunday morning service, we were having lunch um, at a restaurant, and obviously she speaks Spanish, she doesn't speak English, so she think they're, they're trying to translate to her a little bit what I was preaching about, but I don't think she, she grasped it all. And at the time, I was preaching through a series called Earnestly Contend for the Faith. And it was this like three-part series where I was going through just defending the faith. You know, and that Sunday morning, I happened to be preaching about James 2, and I was preaching how the Bible does not teach that you need works for salvation. And I was debunking the whole James 2 and, and how people take that out of context and try to say that you need works for salvation. So we're, we're having lunch with my grandmother, and she's asking me, you know, what were you preaching about? And I'm explaining to her, well, I was preaching out of James chapter 2 about, you know, how like James 2 says, and I started explaining to her what people say. Not what I say, what I was preaching against, you know, and I'm telling her, you know how people say that faith without works is dead and you've got to have works in order to be saved or whatever. And my little elderly grandmother you know, misunderstood what I was saying, and she starts, like, rebuking me. And she starts saying, like, now, now listen, you know, I'm sorry, but I got to tell you, salvation is not of works. You don't have to add work. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I know, I know that. You know, that's what I was preaching. She's like, okay, are you sure, you know? And, hey, I'm thankful for that. We've got a grandmother that's willing to rebuke her pastor grandson if she thinks he's preaching heresy. You know, so, so look, that should be the heritage that you want for your family. The heritage that you want for your family is that they don't have to choose between the spiritual and the physical, that their physical family is their spiritual family. But for those of you that are not there, I'm sorry for you, but you better choose the spiritual. You know, I recently had a conversation with, with my mom, and we were talking about the fact that we do have family that's coming now from Venezuela. You know, people I, I don't really know. And we're talking about helping them and when they first get here and whatever. And look, and I'm, I'm willing to help anyone and whatever. Obviously, want to get clothes. We're talking about getting clothes for them from the clothes closet and making sure they're taken care of. But, I, but we were both expressing the fact that, hey, we want to help people, obviously, just out of kindness and human nature, want to help people to a certain extent. But, but, but there comes a point that whether they're physically related to me or not, if they're not interested in the things of God, I'm not interested in having a relationship. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about, but I'm not interested in just having all this fellowship and becoming friends with a bunch of drunks and a bunch of unsaved people. Whether, look, if they're not interested in Jesus, I'm not interested. And that goes for physical family. That goes for spiritual family. It doesn't matter. Our loyalty ought to be to God. Now, obviously, and I thank God for my family and they're on the same page. Obviously, we want to help people. But, but look, our priorities are the things of God. I thank God that I grew up in a home where my dad taught us, hey, your priority is to your spiritual family, not a bunch of unsaved relatives. Your priority is to your spiritual nation, not some nation you live in. Priority is to our citizenship in heaven. I'm a Christian first before I'm anything else. 
I'm about God first before anything else. God comes before anyone. God comes before everyone. Your spiritual family is more important than your physical family. The things of God are more important than the things of this world. Period. Proverbs 18, look at verse 24. Proverbs 18, 24. The Bible says, A man that hath friends with show himself friendly. Notice, And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. There are some people that you might be closer to than your physical brother because you're on the same page spiritually. Now again, I thank God for my family. They're on the same page spiritually. Praise God for that. But you know, we need to just understand this as Christians, that your physical family may not be receptive to you, and your spiritual family is more important than your physical family. Let me give you one third one. We'll finish up. Go go to Luke chapter 8. Here's point number three. Your priority should be to those who follow the word of God. Now, I want you to notice in Luke chapter 8, we started in verses 19, 20, and 21. But I want you to look at verse 18 to get a little context to something. Because in verse 18, the Bible says, Jesus says, take heed. You see the word heed? The word heed means pay attention to. It says, take heed or pay attention to, therefore, notice these words, how ye hear. He says, take heed, therefore, how ye hear. In verse 20, in verse 19, his brethren come, they stand without. Verse 20, and it was told him by certain which said, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. Verse 21, and he answered and said unto them, my mother and my brethren are these, notice, which hear the word of God and do it. Now, it's interesting to me that in verse 18, he says, Take heed, therefore, how you hear. Pay attention to how you hear. And then he says, hey, you know what? My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. He said, what can we learn from this? Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, we're, we're just going to look at a few more passages. We'll finish up. Matthew chapter 7. If you're there in Luke, go backwards. Mark, Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. He said, what can we learn from this? Here's what we can learn. Regardless of whether someone is saved or not saved, you should spend time with the people who actually follow the word of God. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Notice, there is a, throughout the Bible, there is this theme of hearing the word of God and doing it. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Look at verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you. James 1.22, the Bible says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. James 1.25 But whoso looketh unto the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You say, what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. If you have to choose between the spiritual family and the physical family, choose spiritual. 
But even within your spiritual family, you know that just because somebody's saved doesn't mean they're right with God? You know that just because somebody's saved doesn't mean that they actually follow the Word of God and do what the Bible says? Even within your spiritual family, hey, your priority ought to be to those who follow the Word of God. Say, what does that mean? It means they hear it and they do it. They hear it and they do it. That's who your priority should be to. Even within saved people, your priority should be. It doesn't matter if they're saved or not. If somebody's saved and they're openly rebelling against the word of God, hey, they should not have your loyalty. You can love them as a brother in Christ, but they should not have your loyalty. Hey, our loyalty ought to be to the word of God. So your priority should be to those who hear that word, hear the word of God, and do it. You say, "What if they're my family?" It doesn't matter. Well, what if they're a saved brother in Christ? If they're not hearing the word of God, Jesus said, "My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it." You say, "Why? Why does it matter?" Go back to Proverbs, Proverbs twenty-seven. Here's why it matters: because the people you spend time with will affect you. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Look, you, you think it, it's, it's funny to me how just typical, how, how, how just all of us are. Every single one of us. We are all human beings and we all have the same human nature. It, it's funny to me how you take some guy, or you take some lady, they're saved, and, and they start, you know, making active decisions. I'm going to stop, I'm not going to be mean, but I'm going to stop spending a lot of time, you know, I'm going to stop spending time with friends that don't love Jesus, and that are just a bunch of drunks, and drug addicts, and, and don't want anything to do with God. I'm going to minimize and limit the influence of my family that wants nothing to do with God. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church Sunday morning. I'm going to go to church Sunday night. I'm going to go to church Wednesday night. I'm going to get myself under the preaching of the Word of God. I'm going to get around other believers. And their life just starts getting good. I mean, their marriage gets better. They get better. They get raises. They become better workers. Everything is better. And then they make a conscious decision. I'm going to stop going to Sunday night church. I'm going to stop going to Wednesday night church. I'm going to stop going soul winning. I'm going to start hanging out with my family again. That's a bunch of And then they start get, becoming drunks again. And their marriage starts falling apart. And, and their kids start, you know, being dissatisfied with them and hating them. And it's like you look at it and you think to yourself, what did you expect? What did you think was going to happen? You will become like the people you spend time with, Period. That's why you need to make a priority of saying that you say Jesus looked around and said, you know who I want to spend time with? You know who my mother is? You know who my brothers are? You know who my sister are? Those who hear the word of God and do it. Amen. They have my priority. They have my loyalty. I'm going to spend time with them because so a man sharpened the countenance of his friends. Look, regardless of whether someone is saved or not, you should give your priority and your loyalty to people who actually follow the word of God, who hear the word of God and do it. Because the people you spend time with, even if they are saved, but they're not spiritual and they're not right with God, they're going to affect you. And I'm not saying that you should not 
you should be mean to your family. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, see them for Thanksgiving or whatever. I'm not saying any of that. I am saying that the people you spend the most time with, the people that are in your circle of influence and friends, the people you spend the most time with should be the people of God. And even within the people of God, you should choose the people that actually follow the word of God and are actually doing what the Bible says. Look at Luke chapter 18. We'll finish up. Excuse me. Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Luke 8, 18. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Verse 21. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. I mean, here's the question. How do you hear? How do you hear? What, which one are you? What category are you in? Are you the Christian that comes to church? You hear what the Bible says, but you're a forgetful hearer. And you're like, well, I don't know that's what the Bible says, but I'm not going to do that. I know that's what the Bible says about drinking, but I'm not going to follow that. I know that's what the Bible says about soul winning, but I'm not going to do that. I know that's what, no. Or are you the Christian that says, hey, the Bible says it, so I'm going to do it. Are you the one that hears the word of God and does it? My mother and my brother are these which hear the word of God and do it. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if Jesus was on this earth physically, I would want him to want to spend time with me. But Jesus says, you know how that works? When Jesus, Jesus would say, when you spend time with me, I'll spend time with you. Here's how James says it. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. When we draw nigh to God, when we spend time in his word, when we spend time actually applying what God says to do, God says, that's my mother. Jesus says, that's my mother. Those are my brethren. Those are my sisters. These which hear the word of God and do it. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of scripture. And Lord, I know it can be difficult and I, I, and I understand the dynamics can be difficult when it comes to family. I get that. I thank you for my family and the fact that I don't have to make that choice. I, I'm thankful for that. I thank you for my father and my mother and my grandparents that gave me a goodly heritage. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us, bless us, Help us to love our families, want to get them saved, our friends, but to always realize that the spiritual is more important than the physical. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.